everybody. Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast, episode 194. Thursday, July 6th, we're back and forth. Tuesday one week, Thursday the next week. Dude, I don't know what we're going to do next week because it's Big 12 Media Days and it's on Wednesday, Thursday. So maybe we'll podcast on Tuesday or Friday. I don't, I don't know. We'll, maybe we can squeeze one in. Ryan Chapman and more. I'm John Hoover in Tulsa. Later on the show, Randall Sweet's going to join us to talk about OU recruiting. Ryan, what's up today? Not much. It was dumping in more this morning, like monsoon level rain. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that moved through. But uh, John, I think we just need to go back to old reliable. The number of times that you, me, and Josh just plopped down at one of the tables in the uh, end zone at Cowboys Stadium with just the recorder saying audio only podcast for Big 12 Media Day. Maybe we could bring it back. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. We'll have to we'll have to figure that out as we go. I'll tell you this. Um, Big 12 Media Days, <coughs> excuse me, next Wednesday and next Thursday. We talked about it last week on the show. Uh, they split them up. They're not going to do all 14 teams on one on both days. They're going to do split them up seven on one, seven on the other. OU goes on Thursday, so we'll have a ton of content. Uh, nobody wants to stick around podcasting late Thursday night when we all got to drive back to Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Uh, but we're going to be on site. We'll bring you something. We'll figure out what it is. We might have like an emergency pod, maybe a mid, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to podcast with some Brent Venables content to it and some Ethan Downs content and some, no, he's not going to be there this year, is he? It's uh, yeah. Stutzman, Laulu, Gabriel Stoops. Yeah. So let's get into that right there. Cause that's where I wanted to start. The four guys, Stutzman, Laulu, Gabriel and Stoops did not make all big 12. In fact, no one from Oklahoma made all big 12 preseason except Ethan Downs who I just mentioned he's the only guy on the preseason I guess it's better to have the only guy be a defensive end than it is to be a punter like last year Michael Turk was the only all big 12 guy before we get into snubs let's talk about that one guy Ryan I looked all the way down the list and I thought I don't have a problem with any of this except for Stutzman, who led the conference in tackles last year. I think Stutzman should have been on that first team, all Big 12. Um, What are your thoughts? I mean, is this another commentary on the lack of talent? Is this another foreboding harbinger of of a 6-6 and season? Uh, I don't know if it's commentary on the lack of talent as much as this was a 6-7 and really bad football team last year. And what were the bright spots? on offense because the defense sucked. I don't think Ethan Downs should have been a selection. I was like, wow, there must have been a lot of defensive ends graduate out. Ethan Downs was just fine on an awful defense last year. That does not warrant all Big 12 uh, selection for me. So when you look at it, who are the best players? Marvin Mims, where is he NFL draft? Braden Willis, where is he NFL draft? Eric Gray, where is he NFL draft? Anybody else you want to talk about? You know, like I think the best parts of this offensive line are going to be two tackles that haven't played a ton at Oklahoma. Um, Javante Barnes and Gavin Sachek. With Sachek, you're not going to vault him up there after one game. So Barnes might have been really the only other case because what wasn't going to put Dylan Gabriel forward as the one quarterback. The only person, John, if you had told me, hey, Ryan, all Big 12 team coming out today, one person's going to be on it. Who would it be? I would have said Danny Stutzman. So, yeah, that for me was the only uh, candidate that I even would have considered. And uh, so I was kind of surprised to see that it was Ethan Downs. Yeah, and Downs, listen, everybody likes Ethan Downs. He's a great kid. Amazing. He just got married this weekend. Congratulations. Uh, Holy cow. The Sooners who are – 
being married, getting married during the season, getting married during the off season, uh, it's it's starting to stack up. Um, or former Sooners, Michael Turk and Grace Lyons, I think last weekend. So uh, yeah, cool. Congratulations. He, I think he's a heck of a player. I think he's got a tremendous upside. But if you're basing first team All Big Twelve on what you did last year, he had I think he had a team high nine and a half tackles for loss, something like that. Seven tack, seven sacks, something like that. If you're basing it on last year, his numbers last year were very ordinary, and most of them came either in the uh, preseason, the uh, the non-conference season, or all in one game. And there were games, three, four, five games in a row where he did, he wasn't productive. I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying that's who you're on this team, on this Oklahoma team. That's the guy that you're saying is worthy of first team All Big Twelve. It's very from an Oklahoma perspective, I know there's bigger fish to fry and there's more guys who got snubbed across the conference and all that. But from an OU perspective, it's a curious one that Stutzman, 125 tackles last year, I think third in the nation, first in the Big 12, he's back and he just got better and better and better last year. You can see him over the course of the season, three months from the first month to the third month, he got better and better. By the time the bowl game got here, he was incredible. He's the face of that defense and for him not to be first team all Big 12. I don't know if it says something or if it's just an oversight by the media who cover the Big 12 or what, but uh, I think there's a lot of people who were saying six and seven last year. I'm not voting for anybody on that team. Yeah, and and for me, it's like not even Ethan Downs thing. That defensive line was awful last year, and yeah. does, it should not have a representative on all Big 12. Like, it, it doesn't matter. There was not, like, any one person was greater than the sum of its parts. Like, everybody, everybody in the Big 12 play ran on Oklahoma. And ran at will, so it, it it's not a oh this guy or that guy. I'd say the same thing if it was Isaiah Coe, Jordan Kell, like if it was Jalen Redmond coming back and he's a first team All Big Twelve. Like why would any member of that Oklahoma defensive line, which couldn't stop a nosebleed, whether four man front or three man front, like I just don't understand how you can carry any one of those over because otherwise it's just you're, you're hoping on development and just. I think it's more of a probably more of an overall commentary on the loss of defensive line talent league wide is why maybe uh, Oklahoma breaking in a bunch of new pieces on the offensive line might not see a huge dip in their own run game just because defensive lines across the country or conference, excuse me, probably not as talented. Yeah. And I'll tell you what else this might be as a commentary on the rest of the Big 12's overall talent. They've got some really good linebackers. Obviously, if you're going to keep Billy Bowman off this list, you're going to have some really good safeties, and the Big 12 does. Uh, offensive lineman, Rain probably gets a look just because he's done it for two years. He's been a two-year starter, and he's a guy that's been there for a long time. Performance-wise, I'm not one to sit here and grade offensive lineman, uh, but I can tell you what my my former radio co-host um, thinks, Andrew Rain, who, who played offensive line and was an All-American college, we're talking about Sam Mays, thinks Andrew Rain is a beast. So Andrew Rame is a guy that probably got some looks, probably got some votes. Uh, they're rebuilding at tight end. They're rebuilding at wide receiver. They've got young guys at running back. Nobody wants to vote for Dylan Gabriel, right? So I, again, I look at the list and I'm like, I get it. I get every one of those except Stutzman over Downs. Uh, speaking of Big 12 Media Days, we'll talk with uh, Brett Yormark. He always, the commissioner always starts the, the thing um, on the first day. Usually in the morning, uh, but he'll open up with a state of the conference kind of an address, and he's got some padding on the back to do for himself because he got 
the Big 12's got linear TV networks signed, Fox and ESPN, for six years, Ryan. Um, that's not a huge long, like, 12 years like the last one or anything like that. But six years in this technological time frame, right, where streaming is coming on more and more, uh, more streaming services are coming on, more streaming services are getting into sports, more people are cutting the cord. To have Fox and ESPN as your TV partners for six years, $2.28 billion, uh, that starts in 25, but they're signed, all the deals are signed. They jumped in front of the Pac-12 in the negotiating table to, to be able to do this. Their contract expires in 25, the Pac-12 is 24. So the Big 12 got it done in 23. I mean, holy cow, Brett Yormark, you are killing it. Yeah, and, and that's what, with the current TV deals and the landscape, I don't think you want a super long-term one unless you're the SEC or the Big Ten, frankly. It looks like the Big Ten may have some hurdles with Kevin Warren going to Chicago and saying, yeah, this actually wasn't 100% done. So really, it's just the SEC that's sitting pretty. The ACC hates their deal. And look, regardless of if if you think that this was a huge money upgrade for the Big 12 or it was just like a inflation interest adjust, you know what I mean? Just keeping up with what the cost is. Look at what just happened with San Diego State and the Pac-12. Like the Pac-12, their big key thing they want to go grab San Diego State is going to have to either stay in the Mountain West for another couple of years or pay a huge penalty to the Mountain West because the Pac-12 can't get their house in order, right? They're still how John, how many months in a row have we had the they're almost there on the Pac-12 TV deal and it's still not here. The Big 12's like kicking back, relaxing and now they can do all the economic studies on if we add Gonzaga for basketball only, is that going to actually add money? They, they, they're in brainstorm idea mode while the Pac-12 is still just trying to put bacon on the table. Yeah, I find it interesting. The Big 12 moving forward with 12 teams. Okay, so after OU and Texas leave, they're going to go from 14 this year, which, by the way, July 1st, last week, uh, started the new era of the Big 12. Everybody's posting their little videos and posting their welcomes and all this other stuff, right? Um, so July 1st, we have a new Big 12. BYU, um, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston have, have officially joined as members of the conference. We know that they're on the schedule this year, no big deal, other than the fact that the calendar turned to July and it's upon us. But they're going to make, with those four with the eight remaining members and the four who are new, and remember two of the eight remaining members were new 10 years ago, so you've got half your league that's only been in the conference for 10 years or more. They still are going to get an additional media from this ESPN Fox deal. Media rights-wise, they're going to get an additional. Uh, tw- it's been estimated by, I think, Pete, uh, Pete Thamel from ESPN estimated uh, 22 to $32 million a year. It's going to put them around the $50 million a year mark, which is where the SEC and the Big Ten are right now. So great moves, great shakes by Brett Yormark and the Big 12 to take care of business, get some things done, be proactive instead of reactive all the time. Um, I don't know if uh, having media days in Mexico City is in our future, you know, or at Rucker Park in New York. I don't know if that's something that we're going to do one of these days. I don't know. I would guess not since uh, we cover Oklahoma and Oklahoma is going to be in the SEC and SEC media days are moving all around the South. So looking forward to that. The, the most important thing we haven't hit though, John, 
The big logo refresh, black and white logo for the big. T- it's the exact same logo, just black and white. What What are our thoughts? Yeah. So you you saw the uh, the story that I did, the column that I did on the history of the Big Twelve and how years and years and decades of infighting and instability and backroom dealing and all this stuff has just destabilized the conference. the The entire time it's been around, uh, especially since 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, realignment, 2012, people leaving. Okay. The photo that I chose to use for to illustrate this photo or to illustrate with this story was a photo from about 2009 when everybody was in peace and harmony except for Nebraska and Texas. And uh, <laughs> the logo I chose is very colorful. It's by our man, uh, KJ, uh, shot by our man, KJ, at a Big 12 Media Days had the old logo. And I've gotten feedback. Hoover, you idiot, that's not the Big 12 logo anymore. I'm like, that's the point. When this Big 12 logo was being used, everybody was happy. We switched to this uh, rounded off thing and everybody's uh, angry and wants expansion and doesn't want expansion. So yeah, it's all about the logo, man. Got to keep it smooth. Exactly. Exactly. Now it'll be interesting. You'll, you don't have the Texas Southwest Conference kind of element where the Southwest Conference was always the conference that was just trying to put on a brave face, but did all their infighting pretty much in the open. Uh, the Big 12 did that for a little bit. Really, it, we, we say that with the Big 12, but is the SEC the only one that has figured out the let's all get in a conference room, let's duke it out, and then nothing leaves this conference room? Because they, they did that for a long time until AM heard that Texas was coming. <laughs> That's right. I don't know if they're the only ones, uh, but they do a great job of keeping all that, uh, the little smoldering fires tamped down. Um, Let's get into the season real quick, Ryan. Action Network has favored OU to win every game this year, except Texas. It's the easiest schedule Oklahoma has had in a long time. I can't remember one quite this easy, you know, to... The premium uh, non-conference opponent doesn't really show up on this schedule, so... Um, usually when they play one of those guys, they're that opponent, whether it's, you know, Miami or Tennessee or Washington or whoever, Alabama, those two years, those schools and their premium, um, brand come to Norman, Oklahoma, and they're not very good for one reason or another. They're just not very good. Oklahoma doesn't even have that luxury anymore. Like, well, we tried to schedule a good team. <laughs> that's uh, that's not on the table for this year. They didn't try to schedule a good team. They had to fill some gaps. They lost Georgia, which is too bad. Um, we could. Everybody wants OU to play Georgia as quickly as possible. But so so they did try. But Ryan, um, I don't know if OU. I don't think OU is going to go eleven and one. I'm not sitting here making a prediction one way or the other. But I think it's a realistic possibility. With this schedule, oh, you could absolutely go 11-1. and one. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what – I think we've talked about this a lot, but I, I know I've said this whether between three to six on the franchise or whatever, but I'm like part of the expectations of this season are if you could wave a magic wand and last year's Oklahoma team pops up in 2023 and plays this schedule – you replace three losses with three group of five teams and three group of five teams that are not world. Like I know Cincinnati's two years removed from a college football playoff. That's a whole coaching staff ago. Uh, Houston was banged up to attorney. They might be the most talented roster of the four, 
if they're healthy, just in the first 22, and Oklahoma doesn't play them, right? You've got a BYU team that was kind of meh last year, a UCF team that's that's not firing at the heights that you know Scott Frost had it at, and an experienced guy, Gus Malzahn. Like, that's what you're looking at. No Baylor, no Kansas State, no Texas Tech. We're recording this before the preseason poll comes out, which we presume will be on Thursday. And those, like, I think that would be three of the top six of this conference, not on Oklahoma's schedule. So this is a huge test for Brent Venables and and Jeff Levy and, and this entire staff because they were aggressive in the transfer portal. They've said, oh, yeah, we have to hit on these guys. They've put that pressure on themselves. Brent Venables likened it to, he was asked, is this kind of similar to, when you hit on Juco guys and you have two years, you have to hit. And he's like, yeah, that, that's pretty much what it feels like. So they've got all of that going. You've got the SEC next year. If they are losing games, it is because they're getting out coached again this year. And if that is two years of a sub 500 record, and then you eight wins, even if you're all out eight wins, one of those is Texas. But if you lose to, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, TCU, like those are not talent riddled rosters. And that's how there's a big problem. So, yeah, it's like this team could get no better and win nine games. So that's why I think the expectations are big, not for Big 12 championship, college playoff, all that stuff. But you have to capitalize on this soft schedule or you ain't it. Yeah, no, I agree. If you win nine games, you go from six last year to nine this year and say, hey, that's progress. I would disagree with that. Nine games against this schedule is not progress. Nine wins, going nine and three, and losing to BYU, losing to Cincinnati, losing to you know whoever else might be on the schedule. That's not that's not good. If you don't if you don't win ten, I think it's I think the season is pretty much almost a failure. It can be written off as a setback. Uh, if you don't win eleven, you know if you if you stop at ten, you get to eleven. You can't get over the hump, whatever it is. You finish at 10 and two and go to a, a nice bowl game somewhere. I think that reflects a little bit of progress, but not enough. Against this schedule, against the 2023 schedule, I think 11 wins needs to be the standard. And uh, we all know when you play Texas in the Cotton Bowl, anything can happen. I don't care how good Texas is, how many preseason All-Americans they have, all that stuff. They've got a better offensive line. They've got a better defensive line. They've got a better wide receiver core. They've got a better quarterback. They've got a better oh, – across the board. I think quarterback. I'm not 100% sure on that. I might have to toss a coin. But Texas is the better team. Texas has the better talent. Texas has a more established right now coaching staff. Texas is supposed to win that game. Too many times it's a coin flip and the underdog wins. So 12-0? and 0? Am I, is that a pipe dream for OU fans? Yeah, because Dylan Gabriel's Dylan Gabriel, so there's going to be a meltdown is, game. Yeah, there's there's going to be somewhere where the yeah, yeah like the, I, I don't think the defense is going to be good enough to overcome. Like the offense is not where they lost games last year, but the defense, I know it can't get much worse, but I still think that breaking in a bunch of new pieces again, the talent level should be higher. But I think there's still going to be enough mental mistakes at least early on that. Yeah, this is not uh, – if this team goes undefeated, then Brent Venables gets to take all the victory lap. You know what I mean? Because it's just question mark after question mark after question mark. Shoot, John, this team shouldn't even be talking about winning against Texas. This team should be talking about that that game is crazy <laughs> and is a coin flip every year. 
And the 2022 OU Texas game was one of the most embarrassing one-sided routes in the history of the series. Yeah. That was year one of that coaching yeah. staff. Oh, that's right. It was, so, uh, it was your 11th grade big brother playing in the driveway with his sixth grade little brother. Right. Like what, that's what OU Texas looked like last year. Texas took whatever it wanted, did whatever it wanted and just embarrassed them and, and ran up the score as much as they felt like doing until the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was a, it was a mismatch. Um, I think, what do you think that game would have been? We've never really talked about this. Let's speculate. What do you think that game would have been with Dylan Gabriel on the field? Uh, I, so the defense was not like the only time that the defense stopped Texas is when Quinn Ewers decided he was just going to miss wide open wide receivers. Yeah. So I, I think Texas still names its score probably like a 56 to 24 type thing with Dylan Gabriel, so, just because they don't, they don't shut it down as early. Yeah. That's, that's going two different ways. I guess you could say they shut it down early because they had it in the bag. Uh, if OU's out there scoring 21, maybe they try to run it up a little bit more. Uh, but if Dylan Gabriel's out there, the offense isn't sputtering quite as much. Maybe they have fewer opportunities to get 56 points or 40. I, I think it would have been a 38, 31, maybe type score for Texas and 21, 24 for Oklahoma. I think it would have been closer, but not 49 to nothing. Well, I'd, I'd ask you this. Do you think that the spotlight was too big for Dylan Gabriel last year as the quarterback at Oklahoma, just in general? In general? Uh, I think it was more than he was ready for. If that's saying it's too big, then so be it. I don't think it was too big in that vernacular, but I think he, it was more than he was ready for. Well, I I would say, like I agreed that I think he got used to it. He grew into it a little bit by the end of the year, uh, but it's then a whole nother level of go into that stadium in that environment, in that atmosphere, and perform. Um, I was not banking on Dylan Gabriel having a good first OU Texas experience the way that he handled everything else, which was just kind of shaky. And this year it'll be uh, the returning quarterback who has experience in the game, Quinn Ewers, versus the quarterback who has never played in the game. He stood on the sidelines. (laughs) What are you talking about? It's going to be Arch versus Jackson. We know this. It has been written. (laughs) Oh, went there. Hey, if we can get to October and that happens, cool. I'll be fired up to cover this team the rest of the year because it will be interesting. There will there will have been some stuff go on that people don't like and are angry about, really angry about. And uh, if if they we get to that point in the season and there's a quarterback change, yeah, that'll be that'll be one of those seasons that we look back on saying, God, I hated to cover that, but man, it was uh, something new every day. Yeah, but just like twenty twenty four. Just like 2021, we're just looking around like, is there anything else? Are there any other chapters to be written in this season? Oh, yes. Yeah. This sucks covering this, but this is amazing. <laughs> That's the way uh, we left 2021 and 2005 and other other tough seasons that uh, quarterback play wasn't very good. I'll tell you what, Ryan's going to come back and we're going to talk Oklahoma softball next. There have been some changes. And yes, more could be on the way. But first, a huge shakeup on Brent Venable's support staff, plus Randall and recruiting in segment three. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. 
and the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. On Twitter, you can give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. Don't believe the hype. Twitter's going to be around for a while. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. I think you can probably find uh, Ryan over at Threads as well. If you want all of your Chelsea Football Club content, that's what I've decided. My my feed is going to be curated to just yelling at soccer over at Threads unless it becomes an actual event. Nicely done. You can follow our man Ross at Ross Lovelace. And Randall is at Randall Sweet 5 Follow him for all the latest in the recruiting news. We'll get with Randall in a few minutes to talk about the latest commitments, the latest offers, the latest um, announcement dates coming up, and there's quite a few. It's July now, so here we are. Uh, the website, of course, allsooners.com, Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And remember, it's all free, all Sooners is. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. All Sooners is all free. Segment two for you, Ryan. Um, I didn't know what to make of this news at first when it broke during the week. Sooner Scoop had it uh, had it first that uh, Thad Turnipseed, who's the he's the mover and shaker. He's been called the right hand man of Brent Venables. He's the guy. He's one of those doer doer and finder of things. He gets things done, um, and he's got a big long fancy title at OU, or he did. He resigned. He resigned this week. Um, so again, I didn't know what to make of it at first. You start asking people, calling around seeing what opinions you can find and what insights you can find. turns out that there was a little bit of, it wasn't all copacetic, apparently, as we, as we thought, like, you know, I'm just going to do this and spend more time with my family. I've been building um, outrageously beautiful and successful facilities at two of the finest programs in America for the last 20 years. I want to throttle back. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. I'm told that that's not what it was. There was a little bit of that involved where Thad was burning the midnight oil, working a lot of hours, spending time away from his family, and was not getting the results that he wanted. And I'll read you a couple of quotes from uh, from Brent Venables, and, and there was one last year from Cale Gundy as well I want to get to. But, Brian, your thoughts on uh, what this does, what why it happened, why it happened now, uh, a year and a half into his two-year contract? And what's kind of the fallout from Oklahoma? What effects is this going to have? Yeah, the first thought I had was, oh, that that is supposed to be the 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 outside set of eyes, right? That we, we talked about this a lot. You made a, a great point, I think, when Brent Venables was hired. That since 1999, Oklahoma football had been viewed through the lens of Bob Stoops, which there's nothing wrong with that. Then it was Lincoln Riley, who his only experience was at Texas Tech, East Carolina, and then under Bob Stoops. So the program just hadn't had a set of eyes that had found success at another major program to, to see, hey, maybe you can reorganize this. Maybe this is antiquated. You need this. You don't have whatever it is. Brent Venables got to look at that for a decade at Clemson. Thad got the Clemson experience plus Nick Saban at Alabama, right? So two of the most dominant. If, if he could have spent a couple of years at Georgia in there, he would have had the hat trick of, of the last 15 years of, of college football. And so helping Venables behind the scenes set that up, that was my first thought is, oh, it could be a big loss. But then the flip side of that, the, the second thing I had was, you, you mentioned the two-year contract, okay? He was there in the initial setup phase, that, that foundational phase. Yep. 
the the plans for the new facility have have rolled through board of regions looked at them like the only thing new on that are the renderings that came out that oklahoma worked very hard to ensure those are not the renderings that they have all that stuff so i guess my question would be at the end of this two years outside of the fundraising was stad's work going to be done essentially because the football offices have been reorganized and and the facilities are in route right that's the question i ask as well is had has he done his job already in a year and a half he had a two-year contract is he finished because he got the board of regents to pass a uh um they approved 175 million dollars in spending to get oklahoma into the SEC, basically, right? That's what you're doing. Your move is to get Oklahoma into the SEC. And by doing that, you have to match what the SEC has in facilities and infrastructure and things like that. He did that. He got it done. And uh, unless they renege and say, you know, this isn't happening. We changed our minds. We're not going to spend this on this. We're going to spend it on something else. I don't think that would happen, of course. But uh, that's the only thing that could derail this. He did what he was tasked to, to do. And I don't know what else there was for him to do. Uh, but just in terms of, I don't think him and Venables were fighting, but I think they may have had a difference in opinion of where, where they go next or what the next, what the facility, you know, there's renderings coming out possibly this summer, later this summer, possibly in the fall. What do these renderings look like? I think we should have this. Maybe the other guy says, I think we should have that. Yeah, well, that or um, if you're an aggressive fundraiser, then you're going to ruffle some feathers just as it is because you're always going to be pursuing the more, 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 which is not necessarily a negative. You're just, you're doing your job, right? And so um, I wonder, too, if you have a fundraising infrastructure in place, then you have an outside person that comes in and says, I want to do it my way. I've had success at Alabama. I've had success at Clemson that uh, I wonder if that's not even necessarily a Venables thing, but just like the rest of the office, the, the rest of the the backroom staff as it would be in, in soccer, just because you're, you're having to mesh all these people from different backgrounds together. When again, for a long time, it was here's the Oklahoma infrastructure and they'll slowly kind of add then in this two-year period you've got all these analysts the the soul mission tons of fund rate you know what i mean like you, you just had a lot happening all at once yeah so venables um had some things to say about him last year and uh some some really you know impressive sentiments by brent venables he said that uh, and I'm just paraphrasing paraphrasing from a giant quote here um he says that uh that that turnip seed quote touched every part of it. He's a manager of people. He knows where the weaknesses are and maybe sees the shortcomings. Uh, he sees what you need to do, whether it's in personnel, he said, or you need to kick a wall out or it's uh, getting new equipment where we're going. He said he anticipates really well. So he's kind of a visionary looks ahead. Um, he says, uh, here's the thing that I think may ultimately have, and I'm, I'm speculating. Here's all I can do. I think this may have cost him. He, this is a quote from Brent. He's going to tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. He's had tremendous influence. You put those things together and it's like he understands that if Oklahoma needs to look like an SEC team, then this is the path that you get there. All right. If, if Oklahoma doesn't want to spend $175 million and look like an SEC team, then he could just sit there and take a paycheck. Right. But this is the, these are the ways he wanted it done. 
a quote last year, I think it was last spring from Cale Gundy was interesting too. He said about Thad Turnipseed, Thad has become one of my best friends. And in a, think about that in a short amount of time. He wants to get things done. It's about the program and what we can do to make our program better, what we can give our players the best opportunity to be the very best and playing on equal playing fields. Now project that to the SEC where they're going from the Big 12 to the SEC. Oklahoma has amazing facilities. He wanted them to have, uh, for especially for the Big 12, he wanted them to have the best facilities in the country. That's as simple as I can put it. Um, that wasn't always the case. And, and everybody wants that, but what are you willing to commit to get it done? How many resources, how many people, um, how much time during the day are you willing to, you know? Uh, so anyway, there's, there's some, a little bit of uh, friction there, I guess, and he's on his way out. Again, two years, 350000 a year. And Ryan, this is a guy that at Alabama for 11 years, he was the director of athletics facilities. He basically put together the capital projects that raised more than $150 million at Alabama and got their facilities up to snuff. At Clemson, for nine years, Dabo hired him, director of football recruiting and external affairs. He oversaw construction of their $55 million football complex put Clemson on the level of those SEC schools. Now at OU, he didn't do 11 years. He didn't do nine years. He did 18 months, sort of. And uh, he was the point man on the new project for that's going to cost $175 million. So I think this is a big loss, Ryan. I, I'm sure they'll hire somebody who's qualified and has a vision for what the future needs to look like at OU, but this is a big loss. Yeah, and I also wonder for him, uh, how difficult is it to fundraise off a six and seven football team? That's a good point. You know? I, I mean, it, it, it's, Brent Middle said it, it's harsh, right? He, he could be hard, but how difficult is it? We know Joe Harris, we, we were there when he talked about, hey, they're giving money like never before after Lincoln Riley left. Okay, yep. a year on, the there wasn't 70,000 people at the spring game. There is a, a middle finger to Lincoln Riley. It was a six and seven football team that was embarrassed. They were the laughing stock of the Big 12. Everyone pointed and laughed at OU Twitter, OU fans, the university for saying Lincoln Riley left. He was one Caleb hamstring explosion away from the college football playoff, and Oklahoma can't field a winning team. You know, like I, I wonder how difficult that is, the timing of just. Getting $175 million is not going to happen in one calendar year, no matter how excited you are for Brent Venables. Then the team gave no one any hope to fundraise off of through this summer. Because now I think there would probably, I don't know anything about fundraising. don't know the first thing about fundraising. But if I had a ton of money, you know what I'd say? Let's see if we can win nine games with this schedule before I fork over a couple hundred thousand dollars to on this vision you're trying to sell me. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, they did have, they did report, I should say, OU reported last year, a record um, fundraising year, most most they've ever raised in one year, which is pretty shocking to think about. Uh, you know, you you one coach leaves and everybody jumps in bo- in in the boat with Brent Venables and they go six and six, finish with a bowl loss to go six and seven. It's like, uh, can you put a hold? Can I put a thirty day hold on that check that I sent you? Um, and then Patty Gasso came along and fixed everybody's soul, basically, <laughs> with the third national championship in a row. Ryan, uh, the there were some graduations. There were some losses. There were some exits via the transfer portal. 
the team talent has been on an exodus mode right now. Well, now they're on an entrance mode and uh, they finally, Patty Gasso, thank you for waiting till July when things are really slow uh, to get your work done in the transfer portal. They got a pitcher, Ryan. Yeah, Wisconsin transfer, Peyton Monticelli, and she's someone that is not a grad transfer, right? So Hope Troutwine two seasons ago, Alex Straco this past year, those were pitchers coming in last dance one more year. Uh, she was just a freshman at Wisconsin, made the move. So she should have, if my math is all correct, three years of eligibility remaining. So uh, I'm really fascinated because, you know, last year talking with, this was Jen Rocha's comments, the associate head coach and pitching coach filtered through Patty Gasso, where Patty Gasso had said that four pitchers was a good number to work with. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that means there's one more on the way, but right now you'll have Nicole May and Kirsten Deal, who we've talked a ton about, and now Monticelli, who posted a 2.7 ERA, 2.71, I think, technically last year at Wisconsin. That puts her in the ballpark of what Nicole May had as a freshman. That number's come down, down, down every year working with Jen Rocha. The thing that I think you'll really like if you're watching is her strikeout rate. She wasn't given a ton, a ton of innings. She had second most innings, but basically every 3.7 batters, she she was bringing up a strikeout, low walk numbers. I think the biggest thing for her is she did give up eight home runs in, in a little bit smaller innings. So that'll be something that, Roach will be working with her on, but adds another arm to the fold. She's a righty, so you have Nicole May and Monticelli working from the right side, and then Kirsten Deal on the left side. And uh, the important thing, I think, too, is that Jordy Ball would have had two years left, one year of a grad transfer. You're you're filling a three-year void with uh, Monticelli coming in, and, and she's someone, too, that will get some international experience working with Team Great Britain this summer as well. Yeah, they were in Oklahoma City, Great Britain was. And I, are they over there now hosting the they, sport? They uh, had, I don't know if it was a tryout or a team camp or whatever it was called, but Oklahoma State hosted them um, just after the Women's College World Series. And it sounds like they hung around. Uh, Team GB is going to play the Oklahoma City Spark in an exhibition or two across the pond. So uh, Tara Henry um, from D1 Softball is the coach of that squad, very close with the Spark. So they were hanging around for a spark game or two and, and Monticelli made her way down to Norman. And obviously Patty Gasso closed the deal. Yeah. Speaking of sparks, Hannah sparks, first base coach to, uh, to everybody sitting in the stands. Uh, I'm sure she had a larger role than that on the team working with hitters and whatnot. Um, but Hannah sparks, um, what was her role? Grad assistant, volunteer assistant. Uh, she's moving on to a full-time coaching position at Auburn. Ryan, I got a question yesterday. How the heck do you lose a coach if you're OU? What, you don't have enough money to pay them? What's going on there at OU? Are you kidding me? To Auburn? And I had to remind the person that texted me this. Um, no, no, this is a basically a student assistant, grad assistant, volunteer assistant, real assistant, and you get real money, you get a contract, and you get to go to work for a, uh, you know, you got your own office and all this stuff. That's what she basically is doing, Hannah Sparks. She's taking a full-time job. Not that in terms of hours, she wasn't working full-time, but she, because of the NCAA rules, she wasn't being paid full-time. Yeah. And you've seen this the last couple of years. Um, like just this year, Hope Troutwine and Hannah Sparks were those GAs there for Oklahoma. Hope Troutwine, you can do that for two years before you have to move on. One year in, Troutwine is a pitching coach at Houston now. Sparks headed back to Alabama uh, to coach at Auburn, where uh, from that region, if you remember 
not the 2022 or 2023 season, but the 2022 season, excuse me, Zaleski, who was the first base coach, mm-hmm. she got picked up as a staff assistant, a proper assistant for um, Mike White's staff at Texas. Right. So Mike White at Texas, you've seen Sydney Romero. She was a GA a couple of years, went to Duke for this past season. Now she's headed to Oregon. Mm-hmm. That's just when, when people get their hands on Patty Gasso yeah. coaches, that coaching tree, they want a part of that. And at Oklahoma – JT Gasso, Jin Rocha, like they are locked down at pitching coach, hitting coach. So uh, Sparks, it's a it's a chance for upper mobility to actually like be on a, a, the higher up of the staff as opposed to just working through the GA ranks. Yeah, and with Hannah Sparks and Sidney Romero, you're you're not only getting a qualified coach who knows what's going on in the game of softball, you're getting somebody who came up with quote-unquote OU DNA, right? Former players at OU who know uh, they have that uh, kind of inside knowledge of how Patty operates, and maybe you can put them in the staff room and, okay, so we were thinking about moving batting practice to 315. Uh, What would Patty do? You know, you can ask your assistant coach, no, she kept it at three. Oh, that's a good idea, you know, whatever. Uh, You can kind of tap into that. I think that's smart. Um, And then Folly Avio. I was going to say, you see this in the NFL all the time. Everyone wants to hire someone that has stood next to Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick right. For a while, it it's was everyone. Populating college football with assistant coaches. Yeah, everyone wanted to hire. The secret. Yeah, everyone wanted to hire someone that stood next to McVay after he won the Super Bowl, right? Like, uh, why would you not want to hire someone who was coached and then as a player and then coached under Patty Gasso. So was on the player side of those meetings. And then in the coaching room where she's like, let's do this to get this. Everyone wants that. Not all bad news. Not all exodus. Uh, Fale Aviu, new assistant coach, former player coming back. She's uh, since Ryan, they're going to at some point relax the rule and let you add a full-time paid assistant coach staff member. Uh, But right now, uh, Fale is coming back and she's going to be a grad assistant, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I need to, and, and this is on me. I noted this yesterday. They got away from me. I need to do the digging on when that third assistant becomes active, just because sometimes like when we talk about softball signs, this recruiting class, but it, it, they don't play till the next season. I, I get the dates confused because we operate on football, but yeah, uh, I would say Sydney Romero would be someone that Patty Gasso would like to bring back and be that person. I don't know. Romero might be too high up the food chain now, but a view is someone that uh, coming in and, and that's another one that, that Patty Gasso had talked about as a player, kind of having that mind for coaching, excited to see what that next step's going to be. And, uh-huh. and the good news for Oklahoma is a lot of times, if those spots open up, you'll have former players that Patty Gasso has brought along already, already in the coaching tree that can come back in and then they're going to have another element of, Hey, the player has an issue. Maybe I don't it's not big enough to go take it to Patty Gasso, but now I go to Folly of you and be like, you played here. You understood the pressure of this. Mm-hmm. You understood how coach Gasso's mind works, all this stuff. I think that's always been successful for Oklahoma just as the, the GAs and those former players can be sounding boards for the players as much as they're learning how to, to coach and, and getting that tutelage under Gasso's watchful eye. 30 seconds, Ryan. Uh, Patty yesterday tweeted tw- uh, tweeted a second boomer emoji with the little bombs, which is her sig- signifying, we got one. What does your gut feeling tell you? Are they done? 
in the transfer portal? Are they going to pull any more? And who, what names can you offer? Are we still talking about the same two names that we were last week? Yeah, I, I really think they need a backup catcher, but a lot of Otter from Stanford pitcher, Taron Kern, going to be a designated player from Indiana. I, I think the Sooners would add either one of those. That doesn't fill the catcher void. So I've been kind of scouring. There's not a lot of obvious connect the dots for the backup catcher point, but yeah, I, I do not think Oklahoma is done. I think that Patty Gasso maybe just gave everybody else a little week or two. Okay, you do your transfer portal thing. Now, if you don't have it mopped up, I'm going to bring the hammer down. Yeah. She's got, I can't imagine the the communication line that she's keeping open with everybody that's in the portal. Everybody's in the portal going, come on, coach, come on, coach, pick me, pick me, make the call, make the call. Waiting to be picked like kickball in the sixth grade again. Uh, Those were the days. Ryan, appreciate it, man. We'll let you, we'll let you go and uh, bring on Randall. Absolutely. We'll uh, see you and, and avoid that monsoon that I think we're sending your way from more. Let's hope it dissipates before it gets up I-44, or at least has to pay a toll. Coming up next on the show, Randall Sweet. He's going to join us to talk OU recruiting. That's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Okay, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. We're back. And, uh, hey, if you like the All Sooners podcast, please drop us a nice review, please. Uh, if you really like it, go ahead and give us five stars. We like those, too. Uh, also, like us and share us on social media. To comment if you want to. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment there. And we'll give you some feedback. Segment three, Randall. Randall has joined us. Randall. Randall, sweet. Well, welcome in. Thank you. Yep. So you started last week. Uh, we podcast on, I think, Thursday last week. And then on Friday, you went to the Baker Mayfield Pro Camp right yeah. there in Norman, Oklahoma. You got to interact a little bit with Baker and see what he does interacting with the kids, hundreds of kids out there. What uh, what were some of your takeaways from that thing? Uh, that he he loves to have fun. He When he says he loves that camp, that he means it. Because, uh, you know, he was running from, you know, scrimmage to scrimmage, hopping in, having fun with the kids. Um it was really cool. He uh, he told us that he's talked to Dylan Gabriel. He really praised him, some of the OU coaches. Uh, so it was, it was a good time, and uh, it was good to see him. It seemed like he had a good time as well. A little surprised he hasn't talked to fellow Texan Jackson Arnold yet. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he mentioned that he hasn't talked to him, but he said that, uh, that he was sure that he was going to be pretty good. Yeah, he likes Jackson Arnold. He likes the SEC, too. He likes Baker sending yeah. Oklahoma into the SEC with some good vibes. Yes, he did mention uh, that he knew. He said it was uh, inevitable. The question is, as Ryan and I talked about in the previous two segments, what, what's the win total for Oklahoma in the SEC? What's the win total this year? It's predict, projected to be 11, 10 and a half, 11. Uh, I say if it's not 11, it's almost a failure. If you go 10 and 2 with this year's schedule, and who knows what happens in the bowl game, uh, I think that's – 
not great. If you go nine and three with this year's schedule, Randall, I think that's a little bit of a, a setback coming off of a six and seven season. You win more games, but the schedule is so easy. It's the easiest schedule in the Big 12 this year. Right. I mean, you feel like you have to temper expectations some, but then you look at the talent level that OU has compared to the schedule that they're playing, and you're exactly right. They shouldn't lose more than, you know, two, one, two games. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen with Texas? Texas is going to be a big favorite, but, uh, you know, you go on the road to Cincinnati, you go on the road to BYU in November. Um, things can happen. I, I'm not real willing to write it off as a, well, this team sucks because they went nine and three or 10 and two, but uh, it does temper the expectations a little bit when you start to transition beyond that into the SEC. We'll see what happens. Um, all right. Recruiting, Randall, you are all over it as always. Um, last week, Sooners got four verbal commitments. Wyatt Gilmore, Xavier Robinson, Dozy Ezekama, and James Nesta. Those are the guys that we talked about on last week's pod. And then last Friday, after we hit the podcast, they got a fifth last week wide receiver Ivan Carrion former Texas Tech commit yeah so he uh from from Odessa Texas so out there about two and a half hours from Lubbock pretty close uh so it's good you basically go into Tech's backyard and get a four-star receiver that was committed there uh that's always a big victory um you know committed to Emmett Jones whenever Emmett Jones was the receivers coach at Tech so you know we're seeing more of that carryover from Texas Tech recruiting to uh OU recruiting with Emmett Jones that we've seen with some of the other receivers, uh, Dozy Ezekama, to, to name one. Um, but he's 6'6". I mean, that's huge. We know that uh, from the past that Jeff Levy, Emmett Jones, they love these big receivers. Um, but he's not just tall and long. Uh, he can move. If you watch his highlights, you know, he's cutting. He's making people miss. I mean, he's a hurdler in track. He plays basketball. I mean, this is a guy who's a really good athlete. Uh, four-star recruit. Uh, it's a good good addition to the class for sure. The fourth receiver, which is uh, which is a lot in one class. But you mentioned uh, before the pod that they only took uh, one last year. So, you know, maybe bulking up this year is to rebuild that room. They took two, but they only landed one because one of them, right. Keon Brown, is uh, apparently ineligible. We'll have to go Juco first. So maybe they'll get him down the line. And five wide receivers in this class, um, I saw – uh, you know, I follow the ref on Twitter, and uh, they had a very clever tweet last week where he was the uh, uh, Emmett Jones was the OU coach, re- assistant coach, recruiter of the month in June, as well as May, as well as March. He was basically killing it uh, yeah. since he's been here. And Ryan wrote a story at AllSooners.com this morning, or actually it posted uh, about an hour ago. You guys need to check it out at AllSooners.com. Ryan's story on how he is just crushing it. He is absolutely crushing it. So he's having some real success. Uh, Emmett Jones is on the recruiting trail. Okay. One thing I wanted to point out is, you know, we've said that him and Levy, they like these big body receivers. We've seen that from Levy's past offenses. I mean, other than KJ Daniels, you look at the guys who are committed in this class. You have Zion Kearney, who's 6'2", 200 pounds already. Dozy Ezekama is about 6'3", 185 already. Mm-hmm. And then now Yvonne Carrion, who's 6'6", 210. Uh, so those are three pretty Pretty big body receivers right there. We're kind of seeing that trend continue. And then you've got the speedster in KJ Daniels, just like how in the 2025 class you already have that speedster in Grayson Harris. Yeah. Now, if uh, Randall, if they uh, were projecting a little bit ahead, but if they were to get uh, a commitment from Zion Reagans out of Gray, Georgia, he's a guy that's got uh, OU on his finalist list, Florida State and Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Georgia, I think, is favored at this point. But a couple of weeks ago, he was. 
it sounded like by all interviews and reports and, and tweets and whatnot, social media, he was all in on Oklahoma. That may or may not have changed, but he would be the fifth wide receiver in this class. He's run a 10-3-7 a before. So uh, his his announcement date is coming up. Let's work backwards, if you don't mind. Uh, Michael Patterson, McDonald, uh, defensive back out of Westmore, July 31st is his. And then Zion Reagans, you have his date handy when he's committing? July 18th. July 18th. So that's coming up in a little over two, a little under two weeks. Yeah. Um, Casey Poe, his commitment date, offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman from Lindale, Texas. Yeah. Uh, July 12th. So we'll be at Big 12 Media Days, of course. Ah, uh, yes. That's very typical that uh, yeah. commitments start coming when we're overwhelmed in a sea of Big 12 Media Days. Uh, yeah. Tight end uh, Devon Mitchell out of Los Al in California, July 8th. Is that right? Yes, and also on July 8th is a Mark. I don't know if it's Marcus or Marquez Easley from Kankakee, Illinois. Okay, offensive lineman, right? Yes, yeah, tackle. Big, big Easy, I think he goes by. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mitchell's a five-star tight end. Um, he's yeah. he's going to be a good one. Yeah. Up next, though, there's a commitment announcement coming tonight. So a lot of you guys, by the time you listen to this podcast or watch this podcast, the decision will already be made. The news will be out and we'll have a story at all Sooners. But defensive end, defensive lineman, 270-pound kind of defensive end mostly, but he can play inside if he wanted to. Joseph Jonah Ajonye from Conroe, Texas. He's committing tonight, Randall. Yep, and, uh, you know, from from what it looks like, uh, even though apparently he has a good relationship with OU, from what it seems like, it does not look like OU is going to win this battle. Um, You know, uh, it seems like Georgia's the favorite from everything that we've uh, seen and heard. And, you know, it's it's just hard to beat a team like that on the defensive line for big time recruits, you know, with the track record that they've had recently of winning, obviously, and putting players in the NFL, it's hard to compete with that. But, you know, the more the exactly. And, you know, the more that uh, this coaching staff at OU can build that defensive line, uh, you know, build wins and, you know, put guys in the NFL, they'll start to, you know, win some of those battles more, but, you know, with as new as they are here, it's just hard. It's the single biggest position, single most important position that Oklahoma has to upgrade if they're going to hope for any kind of success in the SEC. And they need to upgrade it now mm-hmm. because when they get to the SEC next year, those guys are going to be freshmen. They're not going to play as freshmen. Most of them are not going to play as freshmen. Uh, you know, your P.J. Adebores and guys like that um, are going to be sophomores when they get to the SEC. So he'll have a year behind, under his belt, so to speak, uh, when they transition to the SEC. But, yeah. 2025, 2026, you better start building now. You better start laying that foundation now. So uh, I agree with you. I think Ajani is going to uh, to Georgia, but he would be a fantastic piece. And there's some other pieces out there. We've talked about him, Williams Nguyenary, for instance. Uh, your gut feeling on Devon Mitchell? He's down to Alabama, Miami, and OU, and Miami has really taken off in his, uh, in his eyes. That's what we understand. Yeah, I, I mean – from everything that we understand right now, I would still say that OU probably is the uh, the place. But like you said, if if it were Miami, I would not be shocked at all. Um, I, I don't know personally, you know what what the uh, what it was that about Miami that crept up, but apparently he visited there and you know loved what he saw. Um, and so if if it was Miami that we see on July eighth, I think at three p.m. Central Time. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be surprising, but right now I would still say that OU is optimistic about that from what I understand. 
Yeah, Miami hasn't had a ton of success lately, but they've got that South Beach lifestyle. Yeah, and, and I am. That, it's hard to beat. Yeah. Uh, Miami also has some boosters who are have their fingers deep in the bag, so to speak. Yeah, so, yeah. NIL money is big. Mm-hmm. NIL is huge for Miami. That's that's how they're winning a lot of these. That's at least what we're told. And, you know, they're doing what they can to rebuild the culture there. All right, uh, Casey Poe, what's your gut on the big offensive lineman? He's down to, I think, seven schools, Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, OU, and Texas Tech. I, From what I understand, that seems like an Alabama uh, victory right there. Um, you know, from looking just looking at his Twitter and the most recent visits he's been on, it seems like he really likes Alabama. He's he visited OU um, in June, so you know there there is a chance that you know they you know Bill Bedenboe can uh, pull him. But you've mentioned it before. You know, if you look at Bill's track record, he doesn't usually pull these you know high rated you know top interior top offensive linemen in the country. So uh, you know he builds. He builds great linemen out of uh, the players he does recruit. Um, but, yeah, from uh, from what I see, it doesn't seem like uh, Casey Poe is going to be coming to OU. It, I feel like, though, for it is notable that a player that's this highly recruited would have Texas Tech in this Final Four, or Final yeah. Seven. Uh, Joey McGuire is doing some work out there. Yes, they're having some success uh, that you wouldn't expect on the recruiting trail. Um, but, yeah, like you said, Joey McGuire. He's got some things going on. Um, okay, Zion Reagans. Uh, gut feeling on him? Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier too. I think Georgia looks like uh, they might might pull away there, or Florida State. But you know, being from uh, what did you say, Gray, Georgia? I think it's uh, Jones County. Uh, you know, right there in uh, the Bulldogs' backyard. Again, with all the success and the track record they've have of putting players in the NFL, it's hard to hard to compete with that. We kind of skipped over Michael. Um, July thirty first is his date to yeah. commit. Um, defensive back, obviously four star. Yeah. So if Zion Reagans out of Georgia is going to Georgia, then Michael Patterson uh, out of Oklahoma is going to Oklahoma, right? You you would you would hope so. I mean, you it, it, lose it, in-state guys to other schools and out-of-state guys to other schools, can you? That's that's bad. Yeah, that, that's very bad. That's uh, that's when you've reached an alarming point. But it <laughs> seems like right now that uh, OU is in a good spot with him. Um, you know, and of course. We've mentioned it before. He's a very talented player himself, and you would love to get a good defensive back, a very, you know, players around the OKC Metro rave about his character. Um, you know, he himself has said that he's a leader. You know, his his dad, who played at OU, told me that he's, you know, really a leader on Westmore's defense. And that's, you know, that's something that Brent Venables and these, these coaches love. Um, but even beyond that, the connections that he has with Caden Durham, a David Stone, that is invaluable. You know, who doesn't want to play with their childhood friends? And, you know, these are guys that he grew up with. So not only getting his talent on board, but the recruiting work that he could do for OU, bring him on board would be huge. And, I mean, his final four is, I believe, Houston, Missouri, OU, and UNLV. And, I mean, if you look at those other three schools, that's just aren't, – those aren't schools that usually beat out OU for recruits, especially not kids that are right in their backyard that are OU legacies. And it doesn't seem like OU's just come in last minute to offer this guy like they might have under previous regimes. This is a guy that they've, you know, they've had in their sights for a while now. Um, Caden Durham just tweeted uh, right before we started this segment, just tweeted a photo of himself on his visit at OU sitting in the uh, throne. Um, I can't tell who he's with. 
one it's a, another recruit but uh he uh, he tweets with the photo an upside down kind of face emoji i guess yeah right. that's that's been uh, all over his twitter recently i've been trying to figure out what that means right <laughs> you would want a running back of that stature to uh to uh, join your camp um, absolutely you would but he's i mean he looks good in ou stuff <laughs> hey, yeah. like like we said, if if the Sooners can get uh, Michael, if they can get David Stone, that'd be huge in landing Durham, who's childhood friends with those two from yeah. Southmore originally. Right, and Stone, what's your gut on him? Uh from what we understand, and from everything I've heard, it seems like OU's in a great spot. I mean, he's on campus all the time. Yeah. I mean, he's from the Oklahoma City Metro, and he's back here over the summer when he could be anywhere else. I mean, he, of course, he's taken visits to Miami and some other schools too. And any big time recruits going to do that, they're going to take their visits. But I mean, for as much as he's been on campus, you know, even if they aren't all official visits or whatever, just getting him on campus, getting him, you know, in front of the coaches, letting them talk to him. That's a great sign. The fact that he wants to be here so much already, you know, I think that's a good sign. And it really indicates where he feels right now. And again, if he, if OU can get Michael, that would be huge huge in pulling David Stone. And Xavier Robinson, after he committed, he mentioned that he was trying to get Stone on board too. So they're working, working hard. Working, yeah. So um, another one that has been to OU a lot, a defensive lineman, Williams Noneri. Um, He's been to OU at least six or seven times. He's been favored to go to OU. He's been leaning toward OU. Everybody's been projecting and predicting and all that stuff going to OU. And, uh, there's some seems to be some momentum that he's uh, might be leaning toward Georgia now. Yeah, I uh, I've seen a lot on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. A lot of OU fans worried uh, that he's now leaning Georgia. I saw <laughs> I, I saw a post that uh, I think it was a fake quote that he said uh, if he had to decide right now he would choose Georgia. But I I couldn't find where he actually said that anywhere, so I wouldn't put any stock in something yeah. like that. Uh, I think most of that worry is because he's been to Georgia a few times this summer. Um, but again, we've said it before, it, you know, just a few minutes ago, the talent that they produce, the success that they have, they're going to be able to at least lure in some of these top recruits for visits. It, you know, if you're, if you're a player of his caliber, that's going to entice you. But I haven't, we haven't seen anything from him or, from any anyone that indicates anything official that he's leaning towards Georgia or, you know, uh, that that's where he would commit if he had to right now. So okay. I think right now, OU should OU fans should stay stay calm and just let let the ship ride, let let Brent and let the coaching staff do their thing, and we'll see where the chips fall. And I mean, it's it's going to be hard to beat out Georgia, especially for those top players. But if you want to land the top players in the country, it's always going to be a battle. Yeah, and your relationship with Todd Bates and your relationship with Miguel Chavez uh, is is huge. Yeah, so, especially uh, especially with him having a coach who played for OU uh, when Venables was on staff, and uh, you know another player on the team, the coach's son Isaiah Mazie, being um, you know favored to go to OU in the twenty twenty five class. Okay, near another near Y guy, uh, right across the border, right across the Red River, Melissa, Texas, Nigel Smith. Yeah, what you got on him? Defensive lineman, four-star, some think possible five-star. Hell of a player. Yeah. When I talked to him, uh, it seemed like he really loved OU. Um, you know, I asked him, you know, out of all of the top schools that he has, the place he's been visiting, A&M, Penn State, Ohio State, you know, OU, 
what what sticks out what sticks out about Texas what sticks out about all those places and you know he from what he told me uh, I would think that that Ohio State and that OU and that Penn State have a really good shot um, you know he talked he raved about the his relationship with the coaches at OU and at Penn State and he raved about the track record of the coaches at Ohio State which it is impressive They're, they've put a lot of defensive linemen in the NFL if you look at the Bosa brothers. I mean, you can go down the list. There's tons mm-hmm. of dudes that they put in the league. But he, what he told me was that he really loved the soul mission, which is what OU has. And he raved about the soul mission, which is something I've talked to with multiple recruits that they really, really love about OU. Um, so as long as they have that to set them apart, they have, you know, like you said, your relationship with Todd Bates, with Miguel Chavis, that, that's as long as that can stay strong, I think that they've got a really, really good chance with him. Of course, He's committing in a few months. Anything could change between now and then. But uh, right now, it seems like they're doing really well. And him being so much closer to OU than, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, I think that will really benefit them. Um, from what I from what I gathered, A&M and UT are more just like, hey, you know, those are the big, big programs around. You know, they can, they can do good things in NIL. They can put together good classes that can, you know, compete. Um, so of course you're going to take take a look at those if you're from Texas, and I, I could be wrong. It could be more than that, but from from when I talked to him, that's that's what I understood. One thing I've learned in 30 plus years in this business, Randall, is that anytime you get a chance to write about or talk about quarterbacks, uh, you're serving your leaders, you're serving your listeners. You wrote a really cool piece on the possibility of a quarterback offer in the 2026 class. They got a 24, Michael Hawkins. They got a 25, and Kevin Sperry. Uh, they don't. They haven't really started on the 26s yet. These are guys that are freshmen in high school and haven't played on the varsity yet. So they haven't. The, the, the evaluations right now, what the material they have is really thin. But I love the story that you did. You looked ahead to some, you know, players in the region, some players in the in the area in Texas for sure. Uh, some really impressive names in there uh, down the line in a, in the 2026 quarterback class, Randall. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, they haven't offered anyone yet. It seems like, uh, you know, Brent and the staff, they really like to do their due diligence and hold off on making those offers prematurely. They don't offer kids before they get to high school like we've seen other kids, mm-hmm. like we've seen other schools do. Um, and with quarterbacks, you know, they don't offer them before they've seen too much. Um, and so that's why we haven't seen a 2026 offer go out yet. But I would imagine that as these kids are starting to be sophomores now, um, if they can put together some good sophomore tape, then that's when we might see some offers go out. Uh, two kids that I thought were really intriguing are two local guys, one at uh, Millwood, and his name is Skyler Turnbull. He goes by CJ Turnbull. So he's teammates with Jaden Nickens, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, he's got a huge arm. I mean, when we watched him, he went to, I think, three sessions of the Brent Venables Elite Camp, and when we got to see him there, I mean, he was just launching it 50 yards, 40, 50 yards with ease. I mean, fast release, the ball comes off his hand really quick. Uh, and that, that's a guy who's probably already about 6'1", 6'2", um, you know, going into his sophomore year of high school, uh, obviously, you know, he's young, so he could put on some weight still, but you know, those, those raw skills that you like to see that quick release, this arm strength, the mobility, they were all there from him. Um, so if he puts together, you know, a good, good season, we know OU has eyes on Millwood already, you know, they've recruited Marcus major, you know, Jaden Nickens is there right now. That's a guy that they're really heavily recruiting. Um, so we know they're going to have eyes on and if Turnbull continues to play well, I could see him getting an offer. Um, and then in Stillwater, there's Connor Quintero. He's already got a few offers. Oregon to 
to name one that's a you know one of the bigger programs that's offered him um and you know it might be hard to get a recruit out of Stillwater, or you know maybe it won't be now that you're not playing in the big 12 uh that uh you know we we don't know what uh what osu quarterbacking is going to look like in the next few years so you know maybe it's not as hard as we think and uh, he's a guy that's already you know gotten some recognition nationally um so that could be a guy that OU OU looks at. We, you know, there are he's already on the radar of the coaching staff for sure, for sure. Uh, and then another guy that we got to see at the Brent Venables Elite Camp is Dayton Riola. Uh, he's the younger brother of Dylan Riola, who's the number one prospect in the 2024 class. He's a Georgia commit, um, you know, huge five-star quarterback. Uh, and his younger brother uh, hasn't even played varsity yet because he, you know, has, he's had to back up his older brother, but. When we saw him at the Brent Venables Elite Camp, he was he was definitely special, and he's a guy that will get offers for sure down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's already got one from Nebraska, but he had a cannon. I mean, easily putting the ball fifty yards through the air. I mean, almost hitting the top of the Everest training facility with the spiral he had on the ball. I mean, just really impressive the way the ball pops off his hand. Uh, probably the strongest arm of maybe anybody except for Kevin Sperry, or maybe even you know neck and neck with Kevin Sperry. He could really sling it. Um, you know, he played at Pinnacle, Arizona, um, and the Riolas just moved to Buford, Georgia, you know, so Dylan could be closer to, uh, you know, the Bulldogs, kind of similar to the Kevin Sperry situation. So it uh, might be hard to, to pull him away if he does become a big-time recruit that George is interested in. But the fact that he was at the Brent Venables camp already, that that uh, it's interesting. It's something to note for sure, I would think. I can't wait to watch Sperry at Carl Albert. That's going to be fun. Oh, man. Yeah, that t- that team is just going to destroy almost everybody. That they're, they're going to be incredible. I mean, him and Xavier Robinson in the same backfield. Not fair. No, not fair. <laughs> Good stuff, Randall. Anything else jump out at you before we before we bail? Mm, the the running back situation is still interesting. You know, yeah. we mentioned, mentioned Durham. You know, still feels like we're uh, still waiting to hear what's going to happen with Taylor Tatum. So. That's uh, that's really interesting. Something I'm keeping my eye on for sure. Something to watch. Hey, man, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sinners podcast. We'll be breaking it down for you from Big 12 Media Days down in Arlington, Texas. We'll try to figure out how to do this. It's logistically going to be really tough, but we're going to give we're going to, we'll give you something. Might be a short pod. Maybe it'll be a um, in between days. Maybe it'll be a short wrap up at the end. Who knows. Anyway, you can catch that one and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. She'll hook you up. Uh, It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player, listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all my shows are on my YouTube channel, John Hoover, me, Ryan Chapman, and Randall Sweet. I'm John Hoover. See you guys.